What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> Episode one hundred and eighty-six. I'm your first host, Marcello, and I'm host number two, D. What's up? What's up? What's up? It's kind of not here. It's kind of it catchy. catchy. It is. Well, it was so catchy that he sucked everybody in and took their money. Yeah. No. What's up? What's up? What's up? Um. Hey, Corey's not here. Uh, he's he's taking a little mini vacay, visiting his his uh his uh his family in Dallas. Yeah. Um, so we're holding down the fort without him. Now let's talk about that. You are in Toronto giving a diversity talk, and I got a little mini scolding from you about mm-hmm. not just sitting back and enjoying Black Panther. Instead, I racially overanalyzed it. You didn't is it get because... a scolding? Is it, is it even possible to scold someone on Twitter? In so many characters. But I feel like you were, you were preparing for your talk. So you were like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address Cello's rainy parade moment. <laughs> All I said is that give Black Panther and Wonder Woman the credit that they're due because they're important movies, regardless of if they're good or if they're not in a cinematographical cinematographical sense. (laughs) That's not a word, but I don't know what you said. You, You just said something like, Hey, there's been other black Marvel movies, blade, uh, blade, and Blade, <laughs> and I was like, it's not about there being a black Marvel movie. It's about the fact that it's got such a huge budget, and it's unapologetically black as fuck. Yeah, it is. Set in fictional Africa. So, of course, you gotta defend it. Wakanda's are not a real place. It is a very not a real place. There are oh trains. Oh my god. Thank there you, are the monorails US geography, on... <laughs> for ruining me. No, I'm kidding. I uh, I knew what kind. But you're giving this tech talk on cryptocurrency, but it's it's yeah. uh, racially focused, right? It's not so... that racially focused. It's more of an on ramping, and then I'm gonna spin the end of it into. By the way, you know this would be a great avenue 
to ensure generational black wealth going into the 21st century. It just so happens that black people, minorities, but I want to talk specifically to black people. I get it. All people matter. But I'm talking about black people right now. We tend to be uh, late to the game, right? Like everybody's already been playing a game for three quarters. We show up in the fourth quarter stretched out and ready to go. And they're like, man, the game's already over, man. And that's an analogy for uh, different, like, different sects, different professions open up, and black people are behind the, the curve, historically. And why? I don't know, man. Whether it's by design or by design, we typically don't get access to things early. Maybe Do you think... Go Do you ahead. think increasing black wealth takes generational sacrifice? Of course. I think increasing I think building wealth, building generational wealth takes one or two generations to sacrifice and focus on just building wealth. Maybe not even generations, but yeah, generations and and yeah, I'm going to stick to it. So that's why when crypto takes off, you want to be able to take care of your future generations in order to ensure black wealth. Yes. Like, this is what I spoke to in that article when I was interviewed, is that, you know, most, not most, but it's very routine in a black family that when black men die or black parents die, it doesn't have to be men, but when they die, there's nothing to leave. They leave no things. Like me speaking personally, when my grandfather passed away, he left my father old suits and extra buttons for those suits. You know, there's no land. There's no wealth. There's no, here's a business that I ran. There's no, here's this organization that I started. There's no wealth there. It's just like, there's no nothing to pass down. So yes, that is why when we're having personal conversations and the price goes up, I always make sure that I'm looking to towards future me's and if they're going to have some stuff when I'm not here. So, but there's this common refrain that because generational wealth is highly correlated with economic su- success in our society, it means that our society is somehow bad or doing something wrong. And this comes up in the context of both systematic racism and social mobility. Now, generational wealth being, uh, uh, you, you know, it predates economic success. It, it just means that relatively successful parents tend to have relatively successful kids in comparison to unsuccessful parents. And there could be bad ones in which that phenomenon happens. For example, in a feudal society where the nobleman's family rules over serfs and everyone's future is dependent on their parents' previous station in life because the nobleman controls all the power. However, wouldn't you expect this phenomenon to also naturally occur when you have a uh, society, a free society, based on uh, parents should be free to use their resources to improve the chances of success for their kids, including... Not just you know cashing out your crypto and ensuring that uh, their well-being, but what about their uh, uh, beneficial values like uh, learning, hard work, and uh, 
and education. You know, uh, successfully economic parents, they can better instill those values on average, but better educational benefits and social values are afforded to kids with less successful parents. So how do you, how do you make sure, aside from the wealth, that those kids are going to have the tools they need to be successful? I'm not, but wealth is going to make it easier. So if if your parents were better at saving money, would that have had an impact on your childhood? Absolutely. To set you up set you up for the future. Absolutely, man. I wouldn't have had to take out student loans. I wouldn't have had to go through that whole dance. Hmm. That's interesting. I think that there's definitely a benefit to having parents that can be involved in more having parents that don't have to focus on just being involved in the financial aspect of your collegiate career. Right. There's the parents that are all like, what do you want? Let me swipe the card. And then there's the parents that have swiped the card years ago and paid for you to live and paid for you to learn years ago so they can actually engage with you while you're in school. And say like, hey, are you are you sure you like what you're studying? Let me hear about it. like it's more than just like, hey, let me be your glorified financier. Yeah, yeah, but and plus, a kid has yeah, time yeah. when their college is paid for, right? The kid that has to yeah, work but what about, and go what to about school, public school though? Because that public school is designed to level the playing field. Because schooling is unequal due to uh, the wealthy isolating to, themselves. Are you gonna make me laugh? Trying to make me laugh. <laughs> Public school is subsidized daycare. Period. Yeah. Point blank. Period. That's yeah. it's getting worse and worse over the years. There's a few pockets of good public public districts, but public schools just subsidize daycare, and it's used as such. So your talk is probably not going to touch on that, though, right? No, hell no. My talk's just on-ramping about Bitcoin. I'm going to talk about the origins of Bitcoin, the origins of this show, this network. Um, I'm going to talk about very simple things about Bitcoin that people should know. They're going to try their hardest to ask me 3 million questions about ICOs. And I'm going to say, hey, look, do your due diligence. Look at the team. Look at the GitHub activity. Look at the volume. Look at the liquidity, the depth of the market. Look at the spread. Like, do tell them to do their due, due diligence. I think that a lot of them are showing up thinking, I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to Ian Bellina out. Nothing against you, Ian Bellina. You're doing your thing. But I'm going to be like, yeah, WXT token, ZYL token, DLZ token, DLX, XLC, BAD, ZMN tokens, get them, buy them all. Buy, buy low, sell high. That's not going to be that kind of talk. What about what about the statistics saying that like seventy percent of wealthy families lose their wealth by the second generation, and ninety percent lose their wealth by the third generation? Not my problem. I'll be dead. <laughs> I mean, as long as I can die saying I put forth an effort so future generations of Fergusons had wealth, 
that's all I have to do. What they do with that well is on them. Okay, what about this? What do you think about the stance where are we encouraging hard work by not disclosing our wealth to our kids, or does that just foster ignorance? If you if you've never if you've never talked about money, uh, or should you give your kids a crash course in financial literacy? Because financial institutions they only market to adults; they don't market to kids, and that goes for for, you know, for good reason, because if financial institutions market to kids, kids wouldn't know what the hell they were doing. Yeah, that's true. So wait, what's the question? The question you're asking is like, should I give... Should you give... Yeah, should you give your, your heir a financial roadmap in the form of like Ooh. your your Ferguson family mission statement you where you can heir. lay out what you expect in terms of spending, saving, giving back, as well, and most importantly, uh, pass along strategies for the third generation of Demetric Ferguson for building you said, wealth. You said heir. The Duke of Ferguson. The Duke <laughs> of Ferguson shall ascertain these assets. <laughs> these crypto assets. No, um I, just, I don't want your I don't want your grandson to be like, why did my mother blow it? Where's all my money? That my grandfather's crypto empire left me. I don't know. I am thinking of gamifying and and anything that I leave. Like if we continue down our path in crypto and it continues to to rule the same results, I'm thinking of gamifying anything I leave. Like taking the private key and getting all national treasure with it, splitting it up in five areas and put them in five different museums in the in the U.S. And they gotta solve a series of riddles. Uh, that's not the question that you asked, is it? It's all. It's all good commentary. <laughs> sorry, sorry. The question that you ask is: Am I gonna make it a mystery as to how I ascertained any wealth at all? No, of course I'm gonna say, sit down, son. This is how you make a budget. This is how you define your cash flow. This is how you identify your net worth. This is how you diver- diversify, rediversify. I'm going to teach him all those things. So he looks like a straight up class act around all of his 14, 15 year old friends. Yeah. For me, it's hard. It's to put a future generation ahead of myself, it's hard. But the reason why I bring this up and the reason why it's important for black people, and yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna go there. You're but black. It goes back. It goes back to slavery. I'm I mean I'm half. It goes back to slavery because look. What does that you even had, mean? Because you had those the the black farmers right. There was one there was one black farmer who decided I'm not gonna let my son farm with me. I'm gonna let him go to school while I'm gonna while I'm gonna stay back and do the backbreaking work. I want my son to be better. And not everyone did that. And that's where that generation of wealth started. Like from right there, where that guy made that selfless decision that he wanted a future generation better than his own. I hate to break it to you, but you got to be talking about after slavery because... <laughs> yeah, freed slaves. Freed slaves. The fr- yeah, yeah, yeah. Freed slaves. 
Um, but he helped. He helped his the youth further their education plan for economic independence, and it started right there, man. Yeah. And it's still, and it goes today, and it's still hard today for people to think about future generations ahead of themselves. I mean, that's I just think, a human. That's a human thing, though. Like, it's not not a lot of people are not are most people are trying to get it while they're living. You know, like a rapper would say, "Get it while you're living." I get it how I live. I live it how I get it. And how well, I mean, goes. how many rappers have you thought, heard were like, "Oh yeah, check we the live motherfucking in digits," huh? How many rappers did you hear like, oh, my mom was in the ghetto working five jobs so me and my homeboys could rap? Yeah, rap. <laughs> that's a that's a future generation decision, that's the, man. That's the stark reality. It's not a future generation. It's a survival decision at that point. It's like, you gotta work five jobs. If you gotta work five jobs, you're surviving. There you know. I'll just say it. But she could, or but unless, she could like, I may not know what I'm talking about. She could be like, you know, one of you, one of you kids, go get a paper route and help Mama with the groceries. But they didn't. Yeah, man, because they were getting how they live. I don't even know what that means. I was about to question you on that. <laughs> anyway, I know Look, this got deep, but I just think that your talk deserves uh, more credit than it than it's getting because it's this- important. I don't like credit. You know that. I like to be behind the scenes. I don't like to be... I like to... Well, you're front center now, man. You're on stage. Yeah, I know. This is, that's going to be uncharted territory for me. But, um... No, well, not really. I've done it before. But just not not as purpose-driven as this. This is going to be like an on-ramping, but with a bunch of people watching me. And then they're going to be asking questions after. So... Um... Cool. And that it ties in with our kind of with our guest because you might be familiar with like online portfolio management and trading platforms such as eTrade and T D Ameritrade. But CoinLine's gonna take those ideas and they're gonna make them even better and apply them to cryptocurrency. <laughs> okay. What was that? The you didn't. I feel like you didn't even try on that one. Well, I wasn't here for the interview, so I hope that was. <laughs> they're they're gonna make it the best ever. I promise. I don't know if they are. They're they're um. This isn't that kind of interview. It's definitely not an yeah. announcement. Um, if it was on announcements, it would be. It'd be the best thing ever. No, that and that's not how announcements work. Announcements <laughs> that's not how announcements work. We yeah. don't. We don't praise any of that shit. Just give them a chance yeah. to talk. But look, CoinLine is the product. But we brought this guy on because he actually he's been in crypto for a very long time. I know that is slowly but surely not becoming something that has any merit. But until it officially is something that has no merit, it says a lot. To be engaged in this community for long because, I mean, one crypto month is like years for normal people. So much happens in one crypto month. Like, 
for instance, three ep- not three episodes, but like the first time we had Taylor from My Crypto on, and we were talking about Cello was like, if you put your money in your bank account for ninety days, then it's you don't have to declare where how it got there or something. I don't remember how the argument got there, but or how the talk got there. But we went back ninety days, and the price of Ethereum was like three hundred bucks, and the price of Bitcoin was like four thousand bucks. At that time, you know, so, you know, so much happens that maybe just maybe being in this space for a long time still gives you credit for having lived through it and decided through it. But anyways. Uh, I saw Black Panther. It was kind of overrated. Dude, we were supposed to go into the interview. We still can you just you just derailed that whole spiel I went on to say Black Panther was okay. Of course it's okay. It's a Marvel movie. It's not going to win any awards. Oh. Well, okay. All right. Let's get into it. Coin line. Here it is. Interested in cryptocurrency or blockchain technology? Or maybe you want to know the hype surrounding Bitcoin. Tune in to the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Since 2015, it's a daily collection of long-form conversations in the form of podcasts where the world's leading thinkers and doers give us a slice of their perspective. With over nine shows on the network, look for talks on crypto, tech, security, global issues, and more. Visit thebitcoinpodcast.network or find us on Spotify. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today's interview... We are joined by Joshua DeWitt, the CEO and co-founder at CoinLine, uh, a new cryptocurrency exchange portfolio management platform designed to address the challenges that crypto investors face in the currently fragmented management and trading environment. So tackling hefty problems. Welcome, Joshua. Yes. How you yes doing? Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Sweet. So we like to... Uh, give our audience the chance to meet you so what like what give us give us your background story like all the way back to like i used <laughs> to go to putt putt golfing games and beat people yeah. like killer instinct with cinder yeah. and for sure no <laughs> I, I can do that uh, i was listening to one of your other podcasts and I, I heard you guys had mentioned uh dragon ball z so i uh i will say that i had watched i have watched dragon ball z uh back in the day uh growing up <laughs> Um, you know, so, uh, I'm already a fan, a super fan. Sweet. Um, well, give us a, a bit about your yeah. background, man. And how did you fall down the rabbit hole? Cause like, yeah, that's, no, that's the lingo. I'm, that's what I'm happens. Still, I'm still going down the rabbit hole. I think, yeah. um, I don't think it ever ends, um, from what I can tell, but, uh, I, um, you know, was born in, in Minneapolis, Minnesota and, uh, you know, in the Midwest and then moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota is where I'm at right now. really where I grew up for the majority of my uh, childhood. And then, um, got really into finance, uh, after graduating college. And so that's kind of my background is in traditional finance. And I have a, uh, masters of investment management portfolio or of security analysis, excuse me, it's a mouthful, Master's of Security Analysis Portfolio Management from Creighton University. And then I was working at Wells Fargo 
um, for a while as a uh, brokerage associate doing some uh, investment management there and working with a team. And then I transitioned to Merrill Lynch um, a, a few years ago. So I worked at Merrill Lynch for about three years on another kind of a larger team uh, doing portfolio management and then working with kind of my degree portfolio analysis, working on a team there, um, just managing traditional assets, stocks, bonds, uh, and por constructing portfolios and that sort of thing. And then while I was working at Merrill Lynch, you know, I kind of caught the crypto bug. I had, I had heard about, you know, Bitcoin and things early on and didn't get too involved right away. Um, and then had read about more about Ethereum um, a little bit, kind of, kind of right when that came out. And that's what really caught my attention, um, decentralized applications. And so I then um, was actually while I was working at Merrill Lynch shortly kind of during that time, I had started mining cryptocurrency. So I have a passion, I guess, a little bit for the the hardware um, of mining, you know, Ethereum, the, the graphics processing units, the GPUs and, and building the computers, um, putting the machines together and things like that. So I really kind of got into that. And I, that was um, just a lot of fun thing to uh, fun to do on the side. And I really enjoyed that. And then I was also trading cryptocurrency naturally as, um, you know, I was obviously a heavy trader kind of in equities and, and fixed income and things, but then also was trading cryptocurrency as well. And um, just really enjoyed it. And it obviously loved the the concept of, of Bitcoin, peer-to-peer um, -peer, uh, trustless transactions um, and the blockchain and all that. So it's just really uh, working in the financial industry. When you when you work in the financial industry and you're doing transactions on a daily basis and you're doing, you know, thousands of transactions and or, or even, you know, working at, at Merrill Lynch, for example, when you're just doing different sorts of uh, equity trades and those sort of transactions you just it, it takes time and so then when i started trading cryptocurrency um instant settlement um and instant and near instant transactions at uh, zero kind of costs or very low cost really is what excited me so i was doing that all the time and i just um when i was trading cryptocurrency i was just thinking this is the way that this is done can be done so much better. Um, these platforms don't have the, the the standard tools that I'm used to, and and even some of the platforms that are out there that you would use for trading equities, you might not have some of these tools that are available um, elsewhere. And so I wanted to bring some of these tools to the cryptocurrency market. So that's really my background and and how I got started and and why I'm in uh, cryptocurrency right now and and why we're or building coin lion is just because it's um, there's really no way and you probably know this, but there's no way to implement any sort of uh, efficient or disciplined or controlled investment processes when it comes to uh, cryptocurrency or digital assets. And so that was my background and how I kind of got down the rabbit hole and I'm, I'm still going down the rabbit hole. I think. I don't think the rabbit hole stops. I think like <laughs> we, we found a rabbit hole and then we were like, there's, there's not enough hole here. We need to dig deeper. Yeah, uh, we need so, Eric Stamper and his crew to dig us all the way down to the center of this puppy. Uh, <laughs> I know. I don't think we've uh, you know even come close to discovering all the potential or applications for um, what blockchain and what this sort of uh, token economy or token incentivization structure um, is going to do uh, here in the future. Yeah, we're just scratching the surface. So you said you mined. Mm -hmm. Like what? Yeah, how many still do you am. use? Oh, you still still mining Ether Ethereum? Yeah. Or yeah, I am. 
Uh, no, just Ethereum right now. I don't have too much time. I wish I had somebody that would kind of, you know, I have a passion for it, but I just don't right now. I don't have a ton of time to tinker with it too much. Um, I, w I would love to tinker with it more, and I'm actually going to be building another kind of just um, – like almost like a gaming PC here coming up soon. That's going to be, um, have some, you know, be doing a little bit of mining as well. But I think you asked how many GPUs I probably have a hundred GPUs or something like that. It's not outrageous. It's, it's like 2.5 giga hashes is what it mines at right now. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. No, not bad. Just, you. yeah, it's fun. Um, it got, got me started and it's obviously been very, uh, you know, so I, I want to continue adding uh, graphics cards to the the kind of the little mining rig that I have, mining farm that I have. But it's uh, if, you, if you're following that at all, it's dang near impossible to even to get any GPUs at a decent price right now. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely become a really tough market. Uh, mining has, and it's so funny. Like, AM, what was it AMD the other day that was like, "Hey, stop selling our video cards to miners." Yeah, and I was like. Why would you want someone to stop giving you money? That's the stupidest yeah. thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, and now they're pa packaging it up, you know, giving those package deals. And I think the other day they had a package deal. I don't know, it was eight hundred bucks for you get a motherboard and uh, t you know GTX ten seventy, and those are those are sold out in minutes. So they're trying to, you know, just dis uh, discourage the miners, but I don't think they're being discouraged. I mean, even the if you go to Nvidia dot com and you start looking at like the the three thousand dollar you know, Titan Pro or whatever, those are even sold out. So people are sparing no expense on this stuff. Yeah, at what point do you invest in another foundry? You know, at what point do you invest in more infrastructure to produce more? But yeah, we could go, we could go on that. Uh, that's not my business. I don't know much about <laughs> producing mm -hmm. graphic cards and what the margins are, any of that. But um Let's, let's yeah. talk a little bit philosophical here. So you, you dealt in securities. You said finance was, um, you know, it was something that you were very interested in. Mm -hmm. And you just delved down that. And then that mixed with crypto. But you're finding, like, I know you're finding it as I am. There's this huge cavern between traditional, uh, the traditional financial world and this emerging cryptocurrency, this crypto economy. And it doesn't seem like there's many bridges between the two right now that are even comfortable to stand on. Like it's one thing to have a bridge, but it's another thing to have like a rope bridge from Indiana Jones, and you're like, I yeah, I don't know if I, <laughs> I, I want to stand on this. So, like, let's get philosophical. Why do you think no one wants to build that bridge, or why do you think no one wants to fill that cavern? It feels that way. Um, I think right now, just there's a lack of uh, easy to use applications. And I think that's what people need. Um, you know, if you're using cryptocurrency right now, just getting involved in it from the beginning, um, you know, when you first go to create a wallet, those types of things are tricky. And then you get in and it's made for computer programmers. You know, a lot of, a lot of this is obviously done with code, you know? So when you're even in something like my ether wallet or when you're, you know, it, working with the blockchain, you're, you're using a lot of those computer science type of, uh, you know, you're dealing with a lot of that type of thing. And so you're copying, you're pasting, and you're putting, you know, your addresses and your wallets and private keys and that sort of thing. And, and JSON files, you know, and you're, you're, you're saving that, your files and all that. So it gets, I think it's just daunting for people right now. 
and I think we're getting to the point where we're we're getting more, you know, Coinbase is that's why they are what they are. That's why they are so so big is because they are like a modern financial application. You log in, you create an account, you have your name associated with it. It's simple, it's easy to use. But then I think a lot of people they get into Coinbase and they don't know what to what to do from there. You know, so I think that that is one of the biggest reasons that there is a gap right now between. Uh, you know, still the the techies and then the rest of the population um, that really have no idea what to do. I mean, even working in the traditional finance when dealing with, you know, working at Wells Fargo early on and just dealing with bank accounts when I first started, um, you know, people have no idea how to even deal with that sort of thing and how to log into their bank account, let alone how to log into, you know, their cryptocurrency wallet and secure their private keys or use a hardware wallet. I think it's just too complicated for people and they don't want to take the time to learn. Um, so they want to be, you know, presented with applications that are familiar and you know easy to use. So I think that's the biggest barrier to entry right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, Barry Silber hit on something interesting today, and in the, the article came out about Grayscale and uh, them doing a large cap fund, of basically the top five cryptos, and that's mm-hmm. like people with money that invest in things. Like I guess you'd call them accredited retail investors. I don't really know all mm-hmm. the layers of investors there are. But yeah, they want exposure to the asset, and they don't give a damn about the asset. So like, no. who's giving them that option? You know, like you, no one. I think we're getting close to a point in time, or dare I say, mass adoption, where people want to use this stuff without knowing they're using it, or people want to own it and not need to know yeah. about it. They want to own it and they probably don't really want to, they don't need to know how to use it. You know, um, that's where I think as we go along further here, people are still not understanding right now exactly what cryptocurrency even is. Um, they still, for the most part, they, when you think you talk about cryptocurrency, they hear the word Bitcoin and they're, then I always get the most common question that I get all the time is, well, why do you need another cryptocurrency? Why do you, why is there more than one? If anybody can just make one, then what's, what good is it? And why, what good is Bitcoin? That's the the biggest, I think, most ignorant question that I get. Um, And I think that people fail to understand that each one of these different cryptocurrencies or, you know, uh, digital assets has a use case, whether that be inside a platform, inside a network, um, you know, whether that be designed for a specific purpose. But uh, people don't understand that there's all these different use cases or applications that these um, tokens can be used for and they just get confused about that they do and they don't i think it's just i think a, a large part of the problem is like a misunderstanding of what drives the people that are excited about this stuff you know like the the reason i say that is um, you know you, you you read a different article maybe two to three articles a day about like millennials love crypto and they mm-hmm. hate wall street they love crypto <laughs> and yeah. they hate you know, they love Netflix, uh, hate Blockbuster. And yeah. so you're going to hear that every day. And if you're mm-hmm. hearing it every day, it means the millennials, uh, us, we're trying to say something. And it's like, we're okay with having tokens that do different things, right? Mm-hmm. We're okay with belonging to a community. I'm okay. Yeah. Like, for instance, I have an app on my phone called Ibotta. It's this weird little app that was introduced to me by one of my close friends' wives. And she's like, if we shop together, we get bigger discounts on things. And I was like... Oh, that's not that bad. I'll go to the same stores you go to, and then we get these like twenty percent coupons. That's pretty mm. cool. 
So yeah. like we all go to the same grocery stores and since the more of us, the more of us in this little clique of people that are going to the same exact grocery store, mm-hmm. we get bigger discounts on our groceries. So it's like, yeah, we're okay with subscribing to things. So if you don't think we're okay with subscribing to what different tokens uh, use cases are, then you're wrong and you're just going to continue to be wrong. So, yeah. And I think, um, you know, we, as millennials understand, you know, maybe technology on a little bit different level. We're used to using all of these applications just like that, like what you're talking about or, you know, whatever other applications we're using, whether that be Netflix or, you know, anything like that where you have to create an account and subscribe. We're used to all that. So just the transition for us into cryptocurrencies that much easier. And then you, you know, you go down a little bit uh, back further in history um, and you just have a lot of people that weren't even used that were opposing smartphones, you know, and mm-hmm. saying te- texting was um, stupid or I, I, why would anybody ever want to text somebody, you know, for example. And I think yeah. those are the kind of people that are still opposing cryptocurrency and, and definitely are the, the late adopters. Most definitely. So they'll, they'll be, they'll be dragged along kicking. And yeah. Screaming. <laughs> They, so, they will hopefully have no choice. So, so we talk about this often on our other show, uh, "Buy or Sell." What the hell? And that is that there's just an enormous uh, walled garden around accredited investors. Like they're only legal. Like some hedge funds are only legally allowed to invest. Oh, in yeah. everything in the traditional world. They can't even invest in Bitcoin if they want to. Mm-hmm. So, how do we like? Let's highlight some of those. What are some of those challenges that investors in face? getting into crypto well i think you know you have your two kind of camps like you talked about earlier you have your accredited investor or you know your just retail everyday investor like a lot you know a lot of people that would have an account with a a financial advisor or something like that um those people are not making their really their own investment decisions at all so they're relying on you know a, a firm to make selections for them and and put them maybe into a fund or into some sort of investment strategy and right now there's just no way for a firm you know say for example like merrill lynch or uh you know even just you know any of the big wirehouses or even any of the smaller mom and pop shops or something like an edward jones or something like that where they have access to mutual funds but there's no mutual funds to that have Bitcoin or anything in them right now. So there's no access to anybody who doesn't make their own investment decisions to get access to this. Their advisor can't go to them and say, Hey, you know, we have this fund here that holds cryptocurrency. That's not happening right now. You know, there are, I think there are some hedge funds that, um, you know, private equity type of deals that have crypto in them. Um, but then you would have to be an accredited investor and have over a million net worth or 200,000 annual income per year, or sometimes even qualified purchaser over 5 million, um, to get into that. So they make those types of, um, alternative investment vehicles, very difficult for the everyday investor to get into. Well, then you have, so you have all those folks and maybe I would say those, those, uh, individuals tend to be a little bit older, maybe in, you know, uh, 40 up. And then you have the millennials who are maybe used to making their own investment decisions. Well, and the great thing about us and, and the, what we have access to is we have just direct access to the blockchain. Um, if you understand how the blockchain works, um, you pretty much, you can just, you, you can get your Bitcoin and hold them on the blockchain, or you can get your Ethereum and your ERC 20 tokens and hold them on the blockchain there. And so we, it opens up a whole new world for us to have access to these types of, you know, whether you want to call them investments or, or commodities or, you know, digital assets, we have access to all of that. 
um, very easily. And it, it kind of, it's almost, it's like, it's interesting to think about because it's almost like it has the, a counter, you know, a counter effect to what traditional finance would be. Traditional finance would say that the good investments, right, uh, you can really only get into if you have, you know, a higher net worth and you have that accreditation, et cetera, where now it's like, uh, these invest or these investment options are they have a great potential. There's a lot of great opportunity here, but anybody can get into them. Well, and if you are probably an accredited older investor, you're probably not going to get in them because you're not going to know how, or your advisor or your investment manager is not going to be able to get you in. So it's kind of interesting. But um, yeah, I think you have just those two camps, um, and then uh, on the, the the one side, you just have all of the individuals who do, are the do it themselves. You know, are used to using technology on their own, and they're the ones that are going out and getting cryptocurrency and actually using it uh, the way it was intended. Yeah, that's another thing that people don't uh, people don't realize. I'm glad you said that. Is like some of these cryptocurrencies aren't intended to be currencies. You're supposed to be using them to do something. Yeah, so like <laughs> and I think that'll. It, That'll change as we go forward into the into the environment here, and as the environment grows and adapts. You know, I I had a kind of a a thought process. You know, for just you know, with, with as a portfolio manager, you know, you can you could really manage a portfolio of digital assets for two, um, I guess separate purposes one purpose would be where you're holding it for investment purposes and 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 from an investment purpose standpoint you would maybe have that those portfolios geared towards different objectives um and maybe those objectives similar to like uh traditional finance where you have style boxes so large cap small cap mid cap or you know maybe you want to go something like you know more like um sector based or regional based so you could have different portfolios like that of different cryptocurrencies where you'd hold for investment purposes and then on the other side of things, I think this is maybe going to be happening more as we go along and things evolve, but you would actually hold a portfolio of digital assets or cryptocurrencies for your business to operate. Um, for example, you might be um, in the business in a business where you need lots of computing power, or you need lots of storage, you know, for example, so you might hold coins like Filecoin um, or, you know, you know, just say, you might hold part of cryptocurrency as part of your portfolio for your business that actually allows you to operate your business in the manner that you, uh, in an efficient manner, you know? Um, and so those coins could be to access decentralized storage or to access decentralized cloud, com you know, cloud computing or, um, you know, faster processing power, you know, D you know, like Gladius, for example, or Filecoin. I'm just thinking about some of these other things. And as, as we go along here in the future, businesses will probably end up holding cryptocurrency just to have access to these different networks or services um, in an efficient way. So how do you see banks in and major financial institutions, like how do they adapt to this emergence? Because let's, Let's be serious. Like my age, I'll put it out there. I'm 32. I watched a lot of Darkwing Duck, but one thing I didn't do a lot of is go to a fucking bank. I've been to a bank less times than I can count. On yeah, my hands. Like, sure. An ATM. I go to the ATM for one reason and one reason alone. I go to a barber shop and they only take cash and they have an ATM in the barber shop. So I usually yeah. draw money at. The, in fact, I get my debit card every time I go to a different ATM. Because they think they're stealing my identity. That's how funny it is. That's how little I go to, like, actually physically go to the bank, right? So just the, like, the, the societal impact of a bank doesn't even make 
sense to people like younger than me. Like they're they're never ever gonna go to a bank, right? Yeah. No, and yeah. I I worked in a bank for for a few years, but uh, other than that, I never obviously I never went to a bank as well. And I still hardly do. I just do you know the mobile deposit and all the mobile transactions that I can. Um, you know, I just think that the applications need to get better, and there needs to be some sort of um, solutions to the problem to some of the problems that are still inherent with cryptocurrencies and and blockchain. You know, Bitcoin is not obviously we all probably know the the problems that are happening with Bitcoin right now, where it's not a great method of just payment. You know, for if I wanted to pay you like four or five dollars for something, probably wouldn't be the best thing for me to do is to send you Bitcoin. Um, so I think that the, like I said, I think the applications still need to get better, and whether that be with where there's some sort of recourse, you know, banks obviously still have recourse. So if you send a transaction using a bank, um, you know that you can call that bank and say, Hey, this, this didn't go through right. And this didn't go the way I want. What, how can I get my money back, et cetera. Um, so I think that as the cryptocurrency, the blockchain technology is going to be leveraged, but there needs to be still some solutions or some applications that are, are going to be developed that are going to solve some of these problems. You know, escrow is the big term out there. And how do you, you know, if I send something to you and you need to set, you know, if it's a peer to peer transaction where you're going to send me a good or service and I send you a Bitcoin, how do I make sure that I didn't just give you the Bitcoin and you didn't provide the good or service to me? So I think those applications need to be developed but as soon as that happens um and there i think there's companies out there working on these problems but as soon as that you know is very easy to use and integrated in with uh, some of the existing applications then yeah i think then that's when the banks really probably go out the window pretty quick mm. that's good that's refreshing to hear coming from someone who worked at a bank <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just kind of like you, you, you said Blockbuster earlier, and I had actually said, you know, um, Bitcoin is the financial institutions kind of uh, Netflix, as Netflix was to Blockbuster. So Bitcoin is to the big financial institution as Netflix is to Blockbuster. But I don't think it's just Bitcoin. I think it's got to be blockchain technology in general, um, and then some sort of other applications surrounding that to make the transactions very easy, and then also provide some sort of recourse, uh, insurance, you know, those sort of things that banks provide. That and maybe now I'm more comfortable, and you're probably a little more comfortable, you know, dealing with. Um, now that we've dealt with cryptocurrency for a long time and we're used to it, but when you're when you first get into it, it's like if I send this here, am I gonna? Is this gonna be gone forever? You know, so those types of things need to be addressed. Absolutely, and you know, I think that uh, a lot of people say, um, you know, Bitcoin got the first mover advantage, and what's next? They say like Bitcoin's gonna be the MySpace to Ethereum's Facebook, mm-hmm. and then if you okay so let's take that analogy out further like what's trumping facebook right now nothing facebook is clone wearing every single thing insta or snapchat does yeah you know and instagram does and then you know you just get further and further like okay kids aren't on instagram anymore what are they on now like oh a blue version of instagram okay cool what are they calling it pick lightning it doesn't matter it's like they're not it's yeah. the same thing over and over again and so maybe instead of thinking that bitcoin is going to be usurped maybe they should just say like okay bitcoin's the foundation let's build a second layer and let's have these atomic swaps and let's have these side chains yeah. and let's just build mm-hmm. something new and better 
Like, why does it have to be, let Bitcoin be a foundation and build yes. on top of that? Yeah, and I think that is what is happening right now. Bitcoin is really the foundation, obviously. Yeah, you know, you have all your trading pairs out there. A lot of the base currency you have for any non-fiat type of exchange, which is most of them, um, you have Bitcoin as your base. So Bitcoin really is the foundation right now. As it is, though, it makes the most sense. I mean, it's the oldest, longest, um, you know, most used distributed ledger. So that's really what makes it so powerful. It's that um, network effect or, you know, Metcalfe's Law, um, that sort of thing. Yep. So I got a question for you. You think like uh, people miss the boat on Bitcoin? Do you think that they think the gold rush is over and they're trying to get into other things, which explains phenomenons like Ripple or Tron? Yeah, or, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just think that's a it's not a good it's not the right way to think about things, but it's the way, you know, coming from like a, a fundamental um you know, or, or analytical viewpoint and actually understanding market caps and supply and demand and pricing and price movements and, and coming from that viewpoint, um, then I, I think that these fo these people who are jumping in, you know, with both feet and without doing their research are not understanding those types of um, fundamentals. You know, how what is the supply? Who owns it? You know, what does it do? They're just not doing the research. All they see is price. Oh, it's cheap. And that's just because people in general don't understand finance. Um, that's just, this is, it's, it's just a financial foundation, uh, f uh, f uh that you want to stand on when you're, when you're talking about your, your market caps and, um, those sort of things. And I think there's people don't understand it. They just see a cheap coin and they think, oh, that could go to a, uh, you know, $10,000, not realizing if it would go to $10,000, it'd be a hundred trillion dollar company or whatever, a hundred trillion dollar currency, which is not going to happen. So and I think that's part of the, some of the big um, run-ups we've seen on some of the smaller coins, but everything is pretty highly correlated still in the cryptocurrency space. So I'm still sort of kind of um, analyzing things and just trying to figure out why and how, you know, why, why is everything so highly correlated? Um, you know, I think there's some big players and big movers out there that are still moving things around, uh, to their advantage right now when it comes to cryptocurrency, since it is, it, frankly, it is, it is easy, easier for people to move large amounts of funds quickly. So how many of your old banking colleagues think that you are off your rocker ever since you've stumbled into crypto and are building out what you're building and researching what you're researching? <laughs> um, it's funny because I came from a really good office. And when I left Merrill Lynch, I was actually very, it was a very hard decision for me because I was headed in a direction that I really wanted to be going in. I was very excited about my career at Merrill Lynch in the finance industry. Um, wanted to, you know, continue on with portfolio management, and but I had a very, I had very good relationships uh, with at where, where I was, and I had some people that I had been talking to about cryptocurrency um, earlier on, and they, you know, were hesitant to get involved and in, in things. And then this was, you know, back when Ethereum was was very very cheap. Um, and, and so I told some people to get involved in that and they did just some people, uh, uh, colleagues of mine. And so I think that they kind of saw that happening and then they just saw my passion for, um, you know, technology. And I think just my passion for, um, 
you know, we wanted to do something more and, and grow faster um, and kind of be on the cutting edge. I always wanted to, I always want to kind of, I guess, be on the cutting edge looking, looking forward um, instead of kind of, I've, I've missed some big opportunities in the when I was young, when I was in portfolio, and I was about fifteen, one of the stocks was Apple. I remember it being like four dollars, and and not getting invested in that one because you know I couldn't even open an account at that time. But things like that, just technology in general. So I told myself I never wanted to get behind the next technological move that's going to push us forward, kind of to the next uh, era. And so when I came across cryptocurrency, Ethereum, decentralized applications, um, started learning all about that. I really really caught the bug and i was sharing with it i was sharing um with people in my office ab about this and um and then when i did it when honestly when i did leave to go to go start coin lion um that was kind of a shock because it wasn't something that i talked about i wasn't going around saying hey i'm going to leave merrill merrill lynch and go and do this it was kind of just something that happened and i felt i just felt like i had to do it um because if i didn't i would never know really what the outcome would have been and also um i couldn't do both things at the same time you know really you can't you shouldn't be you know if, if you're focused on one thing and you have something that you need to do a good job at you can't be distracted thinking about something else and so that was the biggest issue um i when i started working at merrill lynch i was I loved traditional finance and stocks and bonds and all that. But then when I got into crypto, I couldn't think of, you know, really think about anything else or didn't want to do anything else. And so it was hard for me to even stay focused. So that is one of the, the main reasons too, that I needed to leave to, to continue on with coin line. But now I think they're just all, you know, we just, um, you know, coin lines doing very well and I, and cryptocurrency since, since then, since I left has obviously just, it was, it was, it was a weird, weird timing. Actually, I was in it kind of before, definitely before the main wave here in 2017. Um, but all of a sudden it seems like, it seemed like as soon as I left Merrill Lynch and as soon as I started this, all of a sudden it just, this is, that was when Bitcoin went from like a thousand bucks to, you know, 5,000 and 5,000 to 10,000. And everyone was just talking to me about it and calling me and saying, wow. And, and I, I, I still go back there and actually talk to them and they, and they say they're, they're very supportive. And now more and more of them are, they're kind of actually getting involved on their own, just a little bit on their own, you know, dabbling here and there. And then I have a couple of young guys too that i worked with that were about my age um that have really caught the bug as well and they just really enjoy it so uh, it's just been a lot of fun um and of course there's there's naysayers um you know you have and and the typical naysayers were the guys that were in their 60s um they were in their 60s and they they were even um i want to say reluctant to adapt to the change that was happening even in the traditional financial space uh for example we were getting all sorts of new technology and all sorts of new tools but then also along with that a lot of new regulation and and different things that we had to do to stay on top of all that and some of the senior guys there um didn't even want to adapt or change to the new technology that we were getting and and not wanting to use any of that so i just think it's um you know obviously you have people that are more open-minded and then you have a group of people that are very closed-minded and are stuck in their ways and only want to do things the way that they've been doing it for the last 50 years so but for the most part very supportive i should actually say <laughs> Funny is that we're gonna be the same way i'm gonna be like back in my day i had a hardware wallet you know i yeah, had a hardware exactly. wallet you call What's it a that? blockchain access terminal what is that <laughs> you're just changing yeah. words now mm -hmm. um <laughs> I guess, are you familiar with, I think it's E, I don't know if it's Ethos or EO, not EOS, but. Um, the Ethereum it's operating ethos. system? Ethos. 
Well, Ethos, um, they're they're trying to create a wallet, basically. Uh, so the, speaking of wallets here and hardware wallets, the, where you can store all the cryptocurrencies in one wallet. I just don't know if you have learned much about that yet. I, I still need to do more research on it, but I was curious about that. I, I haven't. Um, there's lots of multi-currency wallets that I'm excited about this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Edge being uh, coming from the Airbits team. Um, they have a new product, Edge, which is a multi-currency okay. wallet. I've yeah, used I have to it. look it, into that for sure. It is smooth as butter. It is really, really nice. Um, yeah. Jax is dropping the ball. I don't know if they got distracted. They they mm-hmm. tended to be a team that worked on many things at once, so I think they got distracted. Yeah. Um, when it comes to multi-currency wallets, of course, my crypto. Which is mm-hmm. brand new. Uh, I know you're familiar with my Ether wallet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they are now my crypto. My Ether wallet still works, but my crypto, the team has has moved over to that new uh, new brand. So, um, let's see. I don't know. I used to play with tons of wallets. I have eight of them on my phone, but not yeah. a lot of them are multi currency <laughs> wallets. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about is the the multi currency wallets, and then hoping to um, integrate that into you know our platform and things as we build it out too. So, so I got one last question for you. This is a yeah. tough question. I hope you're ready for it. Maybe and I've heard it before. You, pro- <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> yeah. All right. In in ten words or less, can you describe blockchain? Yes, I've heard this question before, so I was thinking about it a little bit before. Um, I would say, let let me, um, one second, and I want to, in layman's terms, or can I use any uh, terminology here? (laughs) Ten words, Um, that's all you got. A decentralized distributed ledger of trust between two parties. Seven words. I counted some articles. I left some articles out of it's a preposition, it started okay. a prepositional phrase. I left that out and I left A. That gives you or, seven words. Dumbing it down even more, I would say a giant platform of trust where we can interact together. Okay, that's solid. That's mm-hmm. solid. So this is what I this is what I love uh, about this community and how things come full circle is that like when this whole thing started, it was like no trust. We don't need it. We got this <laughs> thing now, and now this is what people don't understand why it's so amazing. Now the shift is we've got this thing we could trust. We're just going to mm-hmm. use that now. <laughs> it's called the blockchain. Yeah. Well, I heard the other one is the the last interview. I don't know if it's the last interview you guys did, but his was um, oh, what did he say? I can't remember what it said. Oh, the middleman, just the the giant middleman that uh, re- replaces all middlemen, basically. Um, I thought that <laughs> the, was kind of interesting. The mega middleman. <laughs> the mega middleman. It's the middleman. We don't need a middleman, but we need something. Um, we're de-Ubering Uber. Yeah. Or Uberizing Uber. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uber Uber squared. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know Uber. if that works. Yeah. No, I do. I think it, it's a great. I think it's an awesome technology. Anytime you can 
you're you're really taking out the middleman, replacing it with sort of like an autonomous type of uh, you know organization or a protocol or whatever you know term you want to use there. But you know, I'm really I'm excited about some of the things coming up in the future. Um, you know, autonomous or uh, like decentralized central banks, you know, stuff like that, algorithmic central banks and things. I think there's some really cool stuff that's coming up. Cool deal. Well, Joshua, thank you for stopping by. Yeah. It's been a good talk. Uh, we bounced all over all sorts of ideas and this industry where it's gone and it's why things are the things they are and how the banks feel about it, what they're they're missing out on. It's been a it's been a good good talk. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Keep keep up the good work, guys. Uh, you guys have a great thing going. Good deal. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Have a good night. And we're back from the interview um, with Joshua DeWitt from CoinLine. He is a cryptocurrency OG, as we like to say. He's just been in this industry for a long time, like we have, and he he's got he's got his tiger stripes. When it comes to uh, living through the ups and the downs and the community strife and the forks and the this and the that. So hope you enjoyed that interview. Yeah, and we have we got uh, a special guest with us. We have uh, Laura, who's a CPA and a cryptocurrency tax specialist because it's tax time and we have to talk about it. Ooh, the tax man cometh. Say hi, Laura. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Hey, everyone. Us. How's it going? Hope you're excited to talk about taxes. I know I get <laughs> excited about it, but I'm kind of biased. I'm always excited oh, yeah. we to talk about taxes. We need we need <laughs> tax clarity, right, Dee? We do need tax clarity because uh, the extent of my tax knowledge is the buttons that I click on H&R Block, um, <laughs> the 75% of the $200 I get for pass and go and landing on the luxury tax in Monopoly. <laughs> um, the life tax, of course, in the board game life, so realistic. Um, but taxes are a nuisance, but everyone has to do them. Uncle Sam wants his pound of flesh. Um, since you are like a tax specialist, is there an Uncle Sam equivalent for every country? Like, are we the only one with an uncle? Um, I don't know if I've heard any like fun pet names like that for other countries. I think they just, you know, standard, like, Canada's got the CRA, but I don't think it has a cute little pet name, sadly. Oh, uh, okay. Like, this is the Queen's Shuffle. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's this tax is season. A, so, it's tax season, and everyone is uh, committing tax fraud, because I guarantee you nobody is reporting their crypto gains. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be a problem. Yeah, I think so. Well... What's your what's your opinion on it? like give us give us like um, I guess some tips like what how to how does someone even get started if they experienced right. some gains last year and they sold a little bit last year and now they're probably facing quite the predicament like what is what are the ramifications? Right. Yeah, I've had a lot of people talk to me that are in crypto saying you know what, I'm just not going to worry about it. Like, it just seems like too much of a hassle. Like, I'll just report it if they ever come after me because I don't want to worry about it. But I just, I don't think that's a good um, way to approach it because if you don't report, that's actually considered tax fraud, which is a federal offense. And so, I mean, that, I sa that sounds a lot bigger than it actually is. But 
it would just be like if someone paid you, you know, your salary and you decided not to report it or you cashed out on some stocks and decided not to report it. So I just feel like the IRS is going to, maybe they don't have the resources they need right now to track all of this. And, you know, one day they're going to, I think. And when they do, it's going to be bad news for those who haven't reported because the interest and the penalties that are going to build up over time is going to be a lot higher than if you had just reported in the year that you received them. So, I mean, that's just kind of like a little disclaimer, but I'm not trying to like scare anyone. I just want to educate people because, yeah, I just don't want people to get themselves into some, you know, tough spots down in the future. And I just feel like there's tons of bad info out there when it comes to crypto and taxes and there's just like false info everywhere. And so I just feel like people are getting the information that is going to steer them in the wrong direction and it's going to, make them, you know, have to pay later. So I'm just trying to provide some resources to make it a little bit easier and, you know, try and make it easy to understand if you're not a big tax nerd like me. <laughs> scare scare them, Laura. Scare <laughs> them to death because they need to understand that the pound of flesh has to be sacrificed. There's no way yeah. around it. How, how, am I, how am I supposed to be tax compliant when the IRS isn't doing their due diligence by giving me a fair amount of guidance. And yeah, it's kind that, of tough. Yeah, they haven't um, released any guidance since 2014 on crypto and tax. But, you know, we do have some info from the notice they issued in 2014. And then also there's just enough other similar assets that we're able to kind of draw from. And again, but it's like, since we don't have the exact guidance, a lot of it is just kind of our best guess. And using other information that we have to kind of reference how we should treat the crypto stuff. But I mean, in the end, the IRS could technically come back and disagree later. But I think as long as we take like a conservative approach and we have kind of some claims to back us up, that will be okay. So there are some things that are like pretty obvious, but then there's some that are a little bit more of a gray area. Um, but I guess just like big picture, if you sold any crypto, if you used it to buy goods or services, like, you know, you're like, oh, it'd be so cool to like spend my Bitcoin to like buy a pizza or something. If you did that, that's also a taxable event, unfortunately. Um, if you traded like one crypto for another, so like Bitcoin for Litecoin or Ethereum for Ripple or something like that, that's a taxable event. If you did mining, if you were part of an airdrop, if any of your coins forked or if you worked for cryptocurrency, those are just kind of like the main ones that I think most people would fall under. There's other ones, but those ones, like if you did any of those in 2017, you need to report something on your taxes. So if it was a gain, you can report the gain, but also if it was a loss, you can report the loss. So it's as important to keep track of both for sure. How can I report the losses? The losses, yeah. So you can deduct $3,000 per year on losses um, because cryptocurrency is considered property, which is like the same as stocks or you know, other capital assets. And so any gains or losses from crypto is a capital gain or loss. And so if you had gains on stocks as well, you can like offset that with your crypto losses. But yes, if you did have a loss, you can deduct 3000 per year. And if you had more than that, like let's say you had $10,000 of a loss, 
you can deduct 3000 this year, 3000 next year, 3000 the year after, assuming that was like all you had. But if you had gains, you can use those losses to offset the gains from, again, both crypto or stocks. What you're saying ultimately is that someone should hire you because you're saying a lot of things. You're saying so <laughs> rapid fire. Oh, sorry, I'm not going to make it so technical. <laughs> you're like, okay, I got gains, I got losses. I can offset the gains of the losses. I get that. That's like chemistry, balancing an equation, I think. <laughs> um, well, she's got she's got this uh, this, this book, this e-book, and it's the top five most common mistakes people make with cryptocurrency and taxes. And I would like our our audience to definitely read that. Is there maybe one common mistake that you can touch on right now that would appeal to most people? Yeah, I think the biggest one um, is, so it's not actually a full book. It's just kind of like a little mini guide uh, reference material. But sure. the biggest one, I think, is trading one coin from another coin is not a taxable event. Um, I think there's a lot of people who like really got into crypto in 2017 who were like, oh, let's start with Bitcoin. Okay, like this Litecoin sounds cool. I'm going to buy some of that. Oh, and then Ethereum sounds cool. I'm going to buy some of that. And all these other like random coins like Avocado Coin or whatever, like people were just buying tons and tons of coins with their other coins. And all of that is taxable. And every single time you trade one coin for another, you have a taxable event that needs to be reported. But I just feel like there's a lot of articles out there that go over this thing called the light kind exchange. I don't know if you or any of your listeners have heard of it, but basically this light kind exchange um, rule says that if you have one coin, well, light kind exchange in general saying if you have one property and another property and they're similar, you can trade the two properties and not have to report a gain or loss. But so a lot of people are thinking this applies to crypto, but unfortunately it doesn't because, um, well, I mean, again, we don't have any specific guidance. We do in 2018 under the new tax reform. So in 2018, we definitely cannot do like kind exchanges. But if you want to do it in 2017, it's a pretty aggressive position. And a lot of people just say, oh, I'm not going to report my trades because I'm just going to take the like kind exchange position. But the thing is, you can't just like off the cuff say, I'm taking the like kind exchange position. You have to also like disclose this on your tax return. So there's a special form you have to file that says, I'm taking this 1031 like kind exchange. And then if you do that, there's a separate form you have to file for every single trade that you make. So it's what? like a lot of work and it's a very aggressive position. So I wouldn't recommend it just because I think it's hard to make the claim that, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are the same thing. I think for all the crypto nerds out there, there's like a million reasons why they're different. And um, you also have to use a qualified intermediary in order to count. But they and, all fall under crypto assets. Right. But like, I mean, trading silver for gold doesn't count. Um, trading oh, like a female cow for like a male bull doesn't count. So like those are pretty similar things. What? And they don't like trading one stock for another stock doesn't count. There's only like very few things that actually apply. And so I just think people don't have a ton of info about this and they're trying to like pretend like they're experts all of a sudden on it. But I would just advise people to be really careful if they're thinking about taking that. 
I, okay. I feel like D. I feel like we rushed into this, and we should have had the entire episode with her. Yeah, we should. <laughs> we really should have thought this through. Maybe we could do round two. You know, who knows? We yeah, <laughs> we probably should. But okay, so all right. You know when you call places and they give you the menu of like press one if you'd like to uh, you know check out this menu. Press two if you're just here. To hang out with customer service. Press three if you need <laughs> Spanish. Right? So, like, where I'm going with this is, like, can you press zero and just sit down and, and talk to Uncle Sam man-to-man and just, like, negotiate it? Negotiate it no. out? Is there yeah, a no, negotiate it out form? <laughs> no, you could. I mean, you could take. You would just have to file your return, and then if they come back and give you, like, a notice, then at that point you'd have your chance to kind of speak your piece but i think if you're going to take any sort of aggressive position you should definitely get like a tax lawyer involved and have them write you a letter saying they agree with your position otherwise like you're probably not going to have a ton of basis as to why you took this when the irs comes back and they're not going to be very forgiving with their interest and penalties i'm not talking about being aggressive they have missiles i'm just talking about like (laughs) i'm just talking about like, hey, let's let's talk about this. Like, here's my net worth. This is, you know, how much I made off of crypto. Yeah, I bought some chips. Yeah, I paid my cell phone <laughs> bill. Yeah, I sent a gift to my parents. Like, you're gonna tax me for breathing? Like, come on, man, give me a break. Like, what's oh, up? With you this? forgot you forgot something else too. Don't forget airdrops. That's a taxable. Yeah, amount. airdrops. Like, you taxing me for living? Like, you gotta you gotta <laughs> calm down, Uncle Sam. Like. Be if you're cool able to uncle. get him on the phone and do this, I would love to be a fly on the wall for it. But yeah, I don't think he just gives out his number freely. <laughs> Damn it! This is you just <laughs> like you said. You, you let this whole conversation. With, I don't want to scare your listeners, and you just scared me personally. We're all scared. <laughs> like now, I'm like, okay, Jesus. Like I, we might not even air this. Let's just not even air this. <laughs> so we went, no one can we ever went to know. what was it? Black wealth <laughs> management of digital assets to crypto tax strategies, and that's how you that's how you midweek it, D. Yep. This is a strong episode. You want to stick around for when we call Burger King because we're gonna ask them if they take Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't think we can go. I don't think we can go low brow after this. This isn't hey, low I heard brow. It will when we call KFC. Burger King. Say say oh. what, Laura? Oh, I said I heard in Canada that KFC was offering like a Bitcoin bucket, and you could get like a whole bucket of chicken using Bitcoin. So maybe See, you're you in Canada. I am in Canada right now. Have you had the Bitcoin bucket? I haven't. I'm in Toronto, like smack dab in the middle of Toronto. Like maybe I'll have to check it out. Downtown. You're from Canada, aren't you? That was a that was not an American out. That was a Canadian out. <laughs> Uh-oh, you exposed me. Yeah, I was born and raised in Canada, but now I'm a U.S. tax expert. It's kind of confusing. Wait, so taxes were so easy in Canada, you just said, you know what, I'm graduating from Canada, I'm going to the U.S. where it's super-duper <laughs> exactly. hard. Like, give me the most complicated tax system or bust. Like, I don't want to be messing around with this Canadian tax system anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You guys have you guys are living too easy over here. I need to introduce difficulty. Um, well, you can. Uh, Laura's created a course that kind of walks you through everything you need to know uh, when it comes to crypto taxation. You can catch her at uh, CryptoTaxGirl 
dot com and her Twitter is Crypto Tax Girl. Um, and then I think you're going to have a little special uh, special offer for our our listeners. Yeah, for sure. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, if I didn't scare you too much and you're eager, just on the edge of your seat, wanting to learn more about crypto tax. Um, yeah, I do have a course. It's called The Complete Guide to Crypto Taxation. And it just kind of walks you through every single one of these, and it's split up by section. So if you're like, oh, I want to know more about like-kind exchanges, you know, you can click on that part. Or if you want to learn about gains, losses, how to calculate them, I'll walk you through all of that. And so, yeah, I'm going to provide a discount for everyone. It's usually 50 bucks, but if you use the discount in the show notes, you can get it for $40. So not a bad price for peace of mind, hopefully, on your taxes. But if you kind of go through that and you feel like, you still have more questions, or if you just want to jump straight to the point, you can also reach out to me at cryptotaxgirl at gmail.com, and we can schedule a tax consultation too. And the course is completely self-paced, so yes. that takes the edge off. Yes, you can do it whenever you want. How many people do we think we're going to see disappear from the country after next year? Like they're going to go through, <laughs> they're going to go through the, all this tax stuff, and they're going to like, oh wow, I owe more money in taxes than. I could have ever imagined time for me to just electric slide out of existence. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I know some people are going to do that. I can feel it. In yeah. My well, I'm actually, um, we think that the U S is rough though, but we only have to pay between like 10 to 35% on our crypto gains, kind of depending what rates we're in. But in Japan, actually, they have to pay 55% on all of their crypto gains. So, uh, oh, sorry. I don't know what's happening. Live for the Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> yeah. So sorry. My it's all good. Is that mine? All right, D. Where are, uh, I want to tell people where we're at. Yeah, we're not going to call Burger King? Mm, okay, we should I'll call Burger King of Japan. And ask them what they're going to do with fifty-five percent of the Bitcoin they got for those yeah. whoppers. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, we are the Bitcoin Podcast with or of the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Uh, we're glad that you're tuned in week in week out. Um, we've got some new shows coming your way. A new buyer, buy or sell, what the hell should be coming really soon. There's been traveling and schedulings that haven't been able to line up, but we will get you a buy or sell, what the hell, or it will soon be known as tax or tax, what the tax. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> we just found out a lot. Um, let's see, what else? There's another Crypto Until Infinity coming next week. Um, Evan Vanessa's in the studio, I believe. That's really cool that we could say that now. Like I, I've always saw, I saw P Diddy do that so many times growing up. Where he's like, oh, "I'm in the studio," or, you know, "We're in the studio." But now turn my headphones up. Yep. Um, what else do we do, Chella? We got Corey's blogs, uh, the Bitcoin or Medium.com/slash the Bitcoin podcast, and you'll see blogs there. Uh, I wrote some. Corey wrote some. Uh, our Twitter at the PTC podcast. Uh, sometimes we post on Reddit, but not anymore. Uh, what else do we do, Jello? We do all kinds of things. We do a lot, but I, I have to. I have to give this PSA again. Please, 
please schedule a consultation with Laura for 30 minutes. The price that she charges you is a crumb compared to the amount and headache that you will save down the road. Yeah. I can't stress that enough. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. Hopefully we can start spreading the gospel of crypto and taxes. Yeah, we need to, or else the government's not going to play kind with us crypto heads. So <laughs> if you ever wondered why there wasn't a blade Four, it's because Wesley Snipe was in jail for not paying his taxes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so pay your taxes. Uh, I got nothing else. Laura, you got anything? Any shout outs? No, I think that's good. Thanks again. All right. Play the outro. Crypto tax girl. That's her Twitter account. And all she she's like really into. Let me see if I can invite her on. Hold on. What's her name? Crypto tax girl. She's like all up in taxes. Kelly Phillips? Kelly Phillips? No, that's her, her name is Crypto Tax Girl. At Tax Girl or at Crypto Tax Girl? Oh. Crypto Tax Girl. Oh, yeah. She looks she kind of looks like what's what's her name look like? If she weren't in Hollywood, uh, Emma Stone. Oh yeah. Oh, she actually responded. Are you serious? She's a real person. She only has one hundred thirty-two followers. <laughs> Ooh. What? I'm asking for her Skype ID.
you gonna get her in here? Yeah. Ooh, Skype ID. She's giving me her Skype ID. Let's do this. This will be a good uh, second part, right? We're gonna change your life, and we're gonna have her on while we call. Uh, <laughs> while we call. Uh, call uh, Burger King. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she could call and be like, "Hey, what are your your tax?" Have you considered the tax ramifications uh, of not taking Bitcoin? Yeah. Dude, Russia's got their curlers on drugs. Like, why do you need to take steroids to be a curler? I feel like the thing just moves on the ice by itself. Oh, I like curling. It's fun. I'm not saying there's anything bad about curling. I'm saying, why do you need to do steroids? Why do you need to take steroids? To, yeah. to curl. She says she's uh she's on a she's on a new computer and she has to download Skype one second. You don't need to do steroids to curl. I'm just saying. Do not. Black China has a sex tape. <gasps> Shocker. Hey. Cello. What? I'm so shocked that Black China has a sex tape. Dude, I I can't believe it. She is a young tape. person. Was that convincing? Nope. King of Queens is an underrated show. That's why they brought it back. <laughs> 